In this episode, we take a look at the importance of teacher self-care and how to recognize when they are out of their ready-to-teach state. My name is Justin Sinceri. And I am Mercedes Corona. We are licensed marriage and family therapists obsessed with the polyvagal theory. Welcome to episode 14 of the Polyvagal Podcast. My goal for this episode, Mercedes, yes. is to use Justin. the to use the word brain in every single sentence because it's scientifically proven to enhance the functioning of the brain when you do that. Is that so? Boom. I got it in the first sentence. <laughs> Topic is teacher self-care. I, as I was outlining this, as we were outlining this, mm-hmm. the phrase ready to teach really um, stuck out to me because we talk about ready to learn, but what about ready to teach? I it, like that. You know yeah. what I mean? Like it's not just the kids that are coming in down the ladder, down the polyvagal ladder. Right. So it's not just them that ha- we have to worry about ready to learn, but we also have to have people that are ready to teach the kids who are ready to learn. I think it's beautiful because it, I think it it kind of speaks to the fairness of the the learning process isn't just about the child and the child being ready to learn. It's also like you're saying about the teacher being ready to teach. So I think that's extremely fantastic. Thank you. Hey, Justin, tell me about someone who's ready to teach. Somebody who's ready to teach is calm yet assertive. And something I think we we mentioned at least the last episode. Um, actually, I think calm isn't calm and assertive. What the the dog the dog whisperer guy yes, says. Yes, <laughs> Caesar Milan. I, did, I didn't know if you'd get mad at me for bringing that up, so I'm glad that you brought it up. Yes, I just realized that. Um, yeah, calm and calm assertive. You're calm, cool, and collected, and you're assertive, which means you're, you know, you're you're ready to define what you need and what you're willing to accept from others. As long as the kids know that you care, like that's where the calm thing I think comes into play is that when you're a safe and social person, you're more likely to be calmer, more you know happy. The caring is going to come through and you can get away with being more assertive or more, I don't want to say aggressive, but more, you know, what's assertive. It's just, that's, I think it's the best assertive, word. Assertive, yeah. yeah. Um, so, but you have to have the calm serve. You can't just be assertive. Right. You know what I mean? Like down the ladder assertive, that doesn't quite work out right and this goes back to what we discussed i think a lot in our last episode or was it the one before that um about the structure and and maintaining the structure in the classroom but that being uh complementary to safety and caring somebody who's in a ready to teach state is also going to assume the best of their students we we have this thing in therapy called unconditional positive regard and I looked up the definition. This is from um, Psychology Today. This is what they say, what, what this means is. What it means is that you respect the person as a human being with agency to choose how to respond to their situation and that no matter how dangerous or dysfunctional they seem to be, they are doing their best. Well, it's like you said, unconditional positive regard is something that is very central to um, maybe not all therapeutic theoretical orientations, but it's something that's very central to the way that I function as a therapist. Yeah, that's that's the basic idea is that is that no matter what that we view the student or the client in high regard, in high esteem, that we believe that they can um, achieve more or that they are doing their best. And I, I really do believe this about every student that comes into the school. 
that even if we does if we don't think so or if it doesn't clearly look like they're doing their best, I really do believe that they are doing their best that day, and that might mean that they're just present. Right, and I think this is a really important point that gets lost in a lot of adults' minds because we're talking about if we're talking about specifically the group of people that we're kind of focusing on with the podcast, the traumatized student. These kids sometimes showing up and being present is their best, like you were saying. Sometimes having a sharpened pencil is the best they can do. Sometimes they ace that test. You know, it's a different level every day, but just believing that they're presenting their best in that moment, I think that's an important piece of, of, of what we're talking about. But so that means that teachers have to assume the best of their students. Third thing that we... Uh, say so for ready to teach the third piece here is number one was calm assertive two was assume the best of the students number three is expects the best of their students that means that you believe that they can succeed that it is possible for them to succeed whether they're doing so or not that's not what i'm talking about it's just a mindset that they can do better and it, it is possible to do better so expects the best of their students number three number four for being ready to teach is um, that you place relationships relationship over academics like we talked in a way in depth last time is that relationship relationship comes first which means that they through relationship that's how students and clients and kids in our in our homes that that's how we can get to a safe and social state and so for students in particular once they're in a safe and social state that um, that's when they can learn that's when they can actually take in information think critically problem solve uh, work as a team, all this critical thinking kind of things, all the executive functioning kind of things, these don't happen unless you're in a safe and social state. A teacher who's ready to teach, based, the way I kind of sum this up is that they're going to view themselves as a co-regulator and as an educator versus an authority and a disciplinarian. Someone who's ready to teach is, and I think especially with like the school that we work in or similar schools, more inner city schools, um, or impoverished areas that educators, teachers, principals are not just there to like tell kids what to do or to be an authoritarian, to be a disciplinarian and to spit out information, but that they are first there to build a relationship, to be a co-regulator. And then after that, to be an educator. I think that's fantastic. And it goes back to exactly what, what the original point was with the ready to teach versus ready to learn. It's not. It's about fairness in in the educational setting, and by fairness, I mean we're we're all here for the same reason. We're all here to accomplish the same goal. It doesn't mean that a teacher is in a higher plane because they're the adult. It it means we're all here together to teach this child, the teacher to teach the student to learn. So the next thing <laughs> uh, we're looking at in our topic today of teacher self care is putting yourself first. Now this is a big one, folks. Um, putting yourself first is really, really important because to truly be able to provide cues of safety for your students, you need to be able to feel safe yourself. So this means really being aware of yourself and your own kind of mind and functioning because if you're not in a safe place to provide those safety cues to the kids, then they're going to feel that. And if you're if you're trying to force it, if you're trying to show them that you're fine, even though you're not fine, they're going to feel that. They, can, they won't be able to identify it. They won't be able to put their finger on it, but they're going to know if something's up, it doesn't feel right. This isn't genuine. 
And there we go. Danger cues. And they're they're going down the ladder. With putting yourself first, really what we're saying is that they have to come in ready to teach before before we can ex- expect the student to be ready to learn, right? Right. I think it's for when we say like put yourself first, let me go back to that real quick. It's kind of weird to hear that even as parents, like to put ourselves first. And I, I, th- I think there's a big parallel here because you, we always, you know, kids come first. Education comes first before my well-being, um, my kids, my kid, my own children's, I don't know, karate practice comes before my <laughs> happiness or whatever. But um, no, I, what we're asking, I think, is almost counterintuitive for parents and maybe even for educators that that you have to be, you have to put yourself first and your own well-being, your own happiness or fulfillment, that that has to come first because it directly impacts the children in your classroom. It has a direct, they, they feel if, if you're not in your best state. And then, like that's not possible at all times, right? I, I don't expect anyone to do that. I don't expect any parent to always be a perfect parent. Um, but if you're not in the in your best possible state in that moment, that they're going to, they're going to feel that and they're going to join you down the ladder. And I really think that this is so important because um, what, what I've talked with teachers about is that you set the tone. You, I don't want teachers set. I don't want the kids to set the tone and then teachers to join the kids. I want the teachers to set the tone and the tone should be calm, pleasant, safe, social. And then I, I expect, and I hope that the children will find that to be a safe co-regulation happening that they can join in like teachers should be setting the tone and that tone has to be a positive one so you have to put yourself first that's what i think we're trying to say when we say put yourself first yeah i'm glad you clarified that i think it's thinking about like when you're on the plane right you and the masks come down and you have to put your mask on before you put your kids mask on that kind of thing and i think for us as as therapists one of the things i remember in the in my training and education was i have to be well to be able to take care of my clients. And if the point of my job is to help my clients be well, but I'm not well, then then what are we doing? You know, yeah, so exactly. really taking care of yourself. Yeah, and putting yourself first. Absolutely. So teachers, what does being safe, or what does putting yourself first look like for you? What does it take for you to get to a, more like a calm, safe, or soothed state? What does that look like for you? What does it take for you to get there? When's a lot, like when are you the least stressed what does that look like for you these are just a whole bunch of questions here right but when it when are you the least angry <laughs> this is more on the negative side the least angry or the least depressed but on the positive side when are you the most happy or the most fulfilled or the most connected so for me i'm personally i'm the most fulfilled and the most connected when i'm playing with my kids there's something about that that is i just feel loved they feel loved we feel connected um, it's very just pure, spontaneous, fun, enjoyment, and connection when I play with my kids. So I know that when I do that, even if I'm not in the mood, that's going to help me get up to a safe and social state. Um, I also know that drawing brings me a lot of happiness. I know that doing the podcast, talking with Mercedes, this brings me a lot of happiness. I feel genuine joy from doing this. Um, so what teachers, for you, what do you feel that through? And I hope so, I hope they have that. I hope we all do. My things mirror yours a lot. My, my first nope, and foremost thing. You yes, you, you don't tell. It. You're not the boss of me. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think this can't come as a surprise, but my children first and foremost. And just, I like having um, chill time, downtime. So I, you were talking about playing, but I I like it when we're just kind of... Game of Thrones. No, no. <laughs> no? 
No, the the children don't watch Game of Thrones with me. Oh, like, I mean, just for you, like your chill time. <laughs> oh yeah, no, but I'm saying like chill, like family chill time. So if we're all together watching a movie, like we like to do movie nights. So every now and then we'll say, okay, movie night, and we all pick a movie together, and we're just relaxing on the couch and just cuddling and snuggling, and it's that is just fantastic. At work, if I'm thinking about work with my clients, that one-on-one time where I just get to just kind of like chat with a kid and just have a conversation, that's a fantastic moment for me. That's when I feel really fulfilled and really at peace. I'll actually, I will join you with that one because there's, when I'm in therapy. You can't copy me. I have to. (laughs) I have to. I have to join you in this. You made this rule. (laughs) I know, but I'm going to break my rule. I when I'm doing one-on-one therapy and sitting there, that's yeah. I'm so I'm so in tune with kind of what's going on inside of me, almost more than I am outside of therapy because it's just it's it's just it's one-on-one. It's there's no kids yelling at me about wanting cereal right. in my home, not at work, in my you know, or like doing laundry or vacuuming. Like it's it's just you're sitting there with one person and, and you're really noticing how you feel and stuff. Yeah. I've been I've been harassed about making raspberry cupcakes for approximately six days. That's for my daughter, <laughs> very specifically. So yeah, in that moment with clients, like it's raspberry just cupcakes. yeah, raspberry cupcake. I don't know where she gets it. I don't know. I like it wherever she's getting. It, I like it. All right. Um, <laughs> so that's on the positive end of things. What does it take for you, teacher, to 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 get into that more positive, safe and social? autonomic nervous system state now let's go to the to the reverse of this which is when are you down the ladder and what does that look like for you because when you recognize this and for me i can feel this but when you recognize this that's your cue to do something different your body's telling you whatever's happening here ain't working and you got to switch it up i think that's really important and we'll talk a little bit more in specific detail about this point in just a little bit but that's that's really important to be aware of that like whoa like I am not I'm not in my well place right now you know something's funky and it's I think the first place we usually go to as as people maybe this is just me Justin someone else has done something to me and and finding fault in another person rather than looking within ourselves and saying wait a minute you know what's going on what is it about me and my experience that is is making my emotional change. We're describing a couple different things. I want teachers to recognize, and we'll talk about what are the behaviors and the feelings and the thoughts of being down the ladder. There's a feeling associated with these. Like when you, or let's just talk about us as parents, when we get angry and like yell at our kids, which I, you and I don't do. Never. But when we, if we, if we were to do that, Mercedes, we wouldn't do that. <laughs> but if we were to yell at our kids by happenstance, uh, it would we would feel something probably within our chest area. Or yeah. if you were around a mugger at nighttime, you'd feel something probably in your gut. Right. Right. So there's there's feelings associated with these things. There's behaviors and thoughts and like emotional feelings. But I mean, like there's bodily feelings. It's called more. It's, I think it's called a felt sense. So there's a felt sense, it's a, and you're going to feel it in your body. So I want you to kind of be aware of that. But if you can't, like that's sort of the, that's really, have to, it's like a really body awareness kind of thing. But if you can at least be aware of like what behaviors you're doing, 
what feelings you're having, what emotional feelings, and then what kind of thoughts are going through your head. That's going to be some huge clues as to where you are on the ladder. Uh, for now, though, when you do when you see these behaviors or these feelings in your chest or your gut, that these are your cues. Like something in the room is causing you to feel anxious or like you're in danger um, or that you're under some sort of life threat or you want to shut down or hide. And when you feel these things, that's your cue. Like your body's saying something has to change here. All right. So if you, and if you remain down the ladder in that state, you, there's no, there's no way you're going to be able to successfully co-regulate with your students. Cause that's what we're talking about here is, is the point of having the awareness of, of when am I down the ladder and what does that look like for me? The point of it is because if we're down the ladder, if I, as the teacher, am down the ladder, I cannot co-regulate with my students. When we're not in our safe and social state, we do not have access to the behaviors associated with the safe and social state. Uh, so instead of problem solving, we might become more demanding. And I, I've definitely seen teachers that are more demanding. Um, instead of using a lot of emotional expression, our affect becomes flatter. Our face becomes flatter. I've definitely seen teachers showing that. Instead of like vocal prosody is something that we have access to when we're in a safe and social state. When we drop down the ladder, we become more monotone. I've definitely heard teachers be speak with a more monotone voice. Here's some uh, some common teacher behaviors that indicate they may be in some sort of defensive state, like a like a sympathetic arousal, flight fight, or like a shutdown. The first one is pride. I've noticed that pride is one of the biggest deterrents to student success. So teacher pride gets in the way of student success and. And I guess what I mean is that as an outsider, as a different person looking in at that teacher, I can see, wow, this, you know, the teacher is stuck in a, in a place of pride and can't move on, can't admit that he or she is wrong, can't admit that they've made a mistake. And in so doing, are now they've now damaged the relationship with the kid. There's no learning going on. Or very minimal, I should say. Very minimal learning is going on for the student. Well, so along with pride comes what? Arguing? Mm-hmm. Would you say arguing? I guess arguing, yeah. Or yeah, insisting on being struggles. right. Yeah, power struggles. Yes, definitely. Yeah, power struggles. There you go. That's a good way to put it. So arguing, insisting on being right. Uh, maybe some yelling. Mm-hmm. I hope not. I hate hearing. T- I hear teachers yell. I know. If I knew my kid, if my kid was in the class of someone who's yelling, I, w- I would flip my lid. Yes. If if you're yelling as a teacher, again, going back to our point right before, that that's a cue to do something different. <laughs> it's a small one. It's you should it's not be yelling. <laughs> no yelling. <laughs> uh, commanding kids mm-hmm. instead of working with them or problem solving, shaming, shaming um, them. Yes, this does happen. Uh, yes. Sending a kid away. I've seen kids. I think literally locked out of a room, and that's not. It's not allowed. You're not supposed to do that. But I've seen kids outside of the room locked out. Um, embarrassing them. Embarrassing children. Uh, I was walking down a corridor and there was uh, a young lad. I guess I didn't hear what the comment was, but he made some sort of flirtatious comment toward a girl who was in a younger grade than him. The te- a teacher happened to walk by at the same time and she called him out in front of the younger girl and in front of his peers who were also there. And she said, really? You're talking like that to a fifth grader? Really? Because he was like seventh or eighth grade maybe. He goes, dude, no, you're too young, too young. Like that, you can't be doing it. Like she called him out and really embarrassed him. And that came from a place of shaming him. 
I'm not saying she was right or wrong. It's not the. It's not. What I'm, it, it's about like how do you handle those situations, and that that was an, a wonderful opportunity for her to pull him aside and say, "Hey, like you may not realize this, but she's a couple of years younger than you," um, and then talk about like, is it appropriate to make making comments like that? Yeah, it didn't have to happen in front of all the all the kids. It didn't have to happen in such a shaming way to embarrass no. him in front of his peers. That yeah, you're right. And it was a female um, teacher. That was a, that could have been a really good opportunity to talk about like what's the appropriate way to talk to mm-hmm. like your female peers and making stupid little comments like that. I mean I don't know if she should have said it that way right. maybe honestly <laughs> honestly I if when I'm talking to kids I, I don't mind talking like that like you kind of made a dumb comment there man like what's going on but I don't do it in front of other people like yeah. you, you, you can talk to kids on that level if they know you care like you can say like yeah that was that was kind of a stupid thing you said like what <laughs> you know what I mean but she she came at it from a place of like wanting to embarrass and shame him and I know the girl who who received the comments was present, and I don't, I don't know how she felt about that. Like she may not have been cool with with that being broadcast in front of more people. Yeah, it might have been shaming and embarrassing for more than one student. For yeah, for the kid, the boy, and for the girl. Um, another example here. I don't know if I've shared this one before, but I saw uh, I was I, I saw this wonderful interaction between or among a t- uh, principal and three uh, boys, and these boys were all uh, known to have more difficult behavioral issues right and but it was a great interaction and he was just hyping him up and said you know go off to class and he said you got hey, hey we're friends like they were like walking off and he goes hey we're friends man i appreciate you guys something like that like you know i just basically saying i expect the best out of you and i appreciate you and i'm your buddy kind of like sort of thing right and they were smiling these were kids that were more on the difficult side more strong-willed and they left that conversation smiling and ready to go to class they were not in class they were ready to go to class they knocked on the door because it was locked for some reason. So they knocked on the door, and the teacher opened the door, and right off the bat, flat affect. She looked honestly quite angry. Um, so not really flat, flat affect. It was more like angry. And I could hear, I was pretty good distance away, but I could hear her like, for some reason the word barking comes into mind. Uh, but she was just aggressively like, you know, where were you? Why aren't you berating? in class? Berating. Berating. Yeah, that, that's a good word, yeah. She was basically just berating them right off the bat. She didn't check in with them. She wasn't talking on their level. No, no safe eye contact. Um, and it, it came from this place of control and and anger. I can it's, that's just my assumption, but that seemed pretty pretty darn obvious. Uh, but commanding, shaming them. Honestly, she was shaming them like, and she has no idea why they were late. She has no idea that they just came from a principal and that he encouraged them to go to class. And they were ready. They were in a state like I saw them ready to learn. I saw them going to class and happy. And when she opened the door and didn't even allow them into the room with a welcome, they lost it. It was gone. Yeah, it's difficult. I, As you're telling the story, I just, this is maybe slightly off topic, but I keep thinking about how the more that you and I do this and we, we do the, the podcast and we talk about this stuff, I see so many more examples of it, some good and some not good. And it's so sad because... Things like that, like you were just saying, these kids were ready to learn. They just had this great experience. Let's do it, man. Like education, yay. And then boom, like, you know, run into a wall. And that's exactly the opposite of what. That was a good way to put it. That was a good way to put it because their forward momentum, they were ready to go into class and they, it was, it was a wall. It was this woman, it was, it was an absolute wall of anger and shame. So these are some behavioral things going on that may be a cue and these are pretty blatant these are pretty blatant behaviors that you're in some sort of state where you're not ready to teach but i will say sometimes it's hard to identify them within yourself so 
looking from the outside in, we can say these are pretty blatant examples. But if it's you, it's going to be a little bit harder to identify these within yourself. Yeah, that's true. Because and, and when you're in those danger or defensive states, you're more likely to blame other people or to analyze or evaluate where someone else is. And then also to blame them for whatever's going on inside of you. Exactly. There's other other dangerous behaviors. Um, like if you're the kind of teacher that is constantly busying him or herself, cleaning things up, organizing, rearranging, and um, it's focused more on that kind of stuff while school, while the class is going on, rather than connection and checking on the students. You know, if you if you handle stress by getting busy, like that's that's also a cue of of being more down the ladder, not quite in that ready to teach state, which your kids will feel as well. So behaviors of being down the ladder, just a handful of examples. It's not exactly the experience of it. So what I'm talking about is emotionally, how does it feel and what kind of thoughts are going through your head while you're down the ladder in these more defensive states. So what does it feel like, teachers? What does it feel like in your body when these things are going on, when you're when you drop down the ladder more and you're more in a defensive state, uh, if you're more like in a sympathetic arousal, you're going to feel your heart rate go up. You mentioned that it's difficult to recognize these within yourself, mm-hmm. but last time we mentioned all these really easy, fast brain breaks, and these are fantastic opportunities to check in with yourself. The excuse of "I wasn't aware of it" to me is not going <laughs> to fly. It's not going to fly. And you can do those, again, this is kind of looking back at some of our previous episodes, but you can do these brain breaks. If it, Even if it's your, you that needs it, you're the person that needs it, you can do these with your class. You can do this with the students. And then you're taking care of yourself and taking care of the students at the same time. No excuses, folks. So as you're doing these very fast brain breaks, you should definitely have a moment to check in with yourself. And to see, you know, how's your breathing and, and whatnot. Okay, so those are the, beha- those are the behaviors. We, we covered the behaviors of being down the ladder. But let's talk about the emotional feelings of being down the ladder and the actual physical feelings. Does that make sense? Yes. The, the physical feelings are your heart rate is going to be up. Your breathing is going to be more shallow. Uh, your, your muscles might be more tense. Your movement is going to be a little bit quick, actually probably significantly quicker. You're going to be darting around more. So heart rate, breathing, tension, and movement. These are, I think, pretty four pretty simple ways to check in with yourself as to physically how you're feeling physically. Emotionally, there's going to be an emotional experience of those. There's going to be an emotional experience of being down the ladder. So pride, um, anxious. Mm-hmm. Anxiety. Anxiety, panic, fear. Anger. Anger, absolutely. So these are all emotions of being down the ladder, these are cues that you're no longer in a ready-to-teach place. For example, I believe I mentioned this teacher in the last episode that when the tension of the classroom was going up, that she, she went into the cleaning mode. And she went into, I have to organize, I have to do this, I have to do that. And that's when I stopped her and I said, um... And I asked her permission. I said, can I just kind of help you out here? And she said, yeah. And I, I asked her to take a deep breath. And she did. And she smiled at me. And she, like, she knew already what was going on. And then that's when we did a circle activity. And that's when she was able to really pause. The whole class did and reset. And then and then have a really nice class after that. She wasn't aware of it. But, but she was, she was, the behaviors were organizing. The physical feelings, her breathing was a lot more shallow. And then the emotional feeling was probably panic. 
what kind of thoughts are you going through your mind? So we've talked about what we talked about. Uh, what was the first thing? Behaviors. We talked about the physical feelings and then the emotional feelings. Some cues that you may not be in a ready-to-teach state. All right, so what kind of thoughts are going through your mind as you drop down the polyvagal ladder? Are they negative? Yeah, probably, right? Or are you having some judgmental thoughts about your students or their families? Maybe. Are you making some attacks on their character? There's a good chance of that happening, right? Or maybe of their family? That might be happening. Rudiger is a pain in the butt. So that is a an attack on the character of the child. It may be true. It might That's not the thing be. is the, these things could be true, but does it come from like, are you actually describing reality or are you making a judgment? That's the distinction there. Yeah, yeah. Uh, another example, Jilly's family are trash and don't know how to handle her. Maximus just doesn't care about school. That's another one against the, the kid. Yeah, they all are. I mean, some, saying someone's trash or they're a pain in the butt or that they don't care about school. These are all assumptions. We don't have any idea if they're true whatsoever. But these are the kinds of things that we're thinking. Again, if we're looking at if I, as the teacher, am down the polyvagal ladder, what are the thoughts that are going through my head? And and I can tell you, <laughs> I'm not a teacher, but I know that these things go through teachers' heads because sometimes they voice it to me after school during an appropriate time. Sure. And unfortunately, sometimes I have heard these things being said during class time also, Maybe not directed at the students per se, but within the students' vicinity of hearing and super inappropriate. What about things like, you know, like, what's wrong with you? Or why are you like that? Why, yes. why did you, like those accusatory, even though they're not, you're not name calling, there is definitely some, you, like, you get the point. Like, when you, when you say to someone, like, what's wrong with you? Yeah. Or why can't you be like your brother or sister? Uh, like, that there's, must be there's awful. a sub, there's a, yeah, there's a subtext there. Like, even though you're not saying it, the judgments are still there. Something's so, wrong with you that you can't learn and you can't do what everyone else yeah, can why do. Yeah, why can't you? Yeah. And it's not the issue is that they can't. It's just that, well, I guess maybe in the state they can't. They're not capable of it. So the answer is because they're not in a safe and social state. And why aren't they in a safe and social state? It might have something to do with the classroom. No, I'm just thinking, you know, if we're talking about teacher self-care, and so we're talking about from the perspective of, of making sure that the teacher is in a well state, to be teaching a ready-to-teach state, sometimes I think those things come out of a teacher's, can can come out oh, of yeah. a teacher's mouth if they are not in, in a ready-to-teach state, assuming or expecting the child to be in a ready-to-learn state. That seems unfair, yeah. unbalanced. Absolutely. And it's not because, like, so these thoughts have nothing to do with the profession. It's, it's because you're a human being and our story follows our state. So when we drop down the ladder into a defensive state, the stories in our head are going to change. If you're in a safe and social, ready-to-teach state, and a kid's having, like, if they're in shutdown and they have their hood on and their head on the on their ta- on the desk, the story in your head is going to be more of, like, compassion and concern, and I wonder if that child got enough sleep versus that kid hates me in my class or that, cl- that kid doesn't care about their future. That's, so they're... Same behaviors that we're witnessing, but the story in our head changes based on our state. I'm thinking of just examples. As you were saying that, I was thinking of examples that I've been through where um, another staff has been in that down the ladder place for themselves. And so is accusatory and judgmental of the of the child. 
where I have been in, not all the time, but in that moment, I was in a safe and social state myself. And so I could identify, hey, are, are you hungry? And then provide the kid a snack and then the kid is fine. And so you were concerned about their basic needs. Yeah. Well, and it, and it, I think what I was thinking about is like, you know, the child's reaction is so different because here comes one adult, one staff member who's like, hey, you kid, it's all your fault. You're dumb and whatever thing. And here's another staff who says, hey, let me meet your needs. Let me make sure that you're okay. And the behaviors resulting from that are so different in the same child. Yeah. Yeah. And it, but so, but the staff, the two staff come from different states, yeah, right? Yeah, right. One of them is ready to co-regulate and the other one's not providing co-regulation. Thinking about the basic fundamental needs that they are not getting met and that might be food and water. Mm-hmm. That might be, you know, something that simple. Rest, sleep. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I know that's a big deal for a lot of these kids. Teachers, what are your danger cues? So we've talked a lot about now about what it looks like, what it feels like, what it sounds like in your head, what it feels like in your body. Let's let's take a step further. What are your actual danger cues? What are the things that are bringing you down the ladder into these more defensive states, right? Right. Think about situations. Think about events that have happened throughout the day or throughout the school year. Think about people, your coworkers. It, this could even be objects or, you know, that kid. Think about what your danger cues are, your triggers. And think about how that affects you, your, your, not just your overall functioning, but your daily functioning as well as a teacher in the classroom. This is kind of a big thing here. This, When you're looking at your own danger cues, this might mean that you have to kind of dig into some kind of heavier stuff for yourself. This might mean that you're going to have to really take a step back and look at yourself in a way that might be uncomfortable. It's really important, though. It's a really important step. If, if you're a teacher because you want to help children, this is a really important step. Really, really hard. Very difficult, but so important. So be kind to yourself during this process. So what do you mean by digging into some heavy stuff? What might that look like? I was thinking about some people don't always know what their own cues of danger are. Some people don't always know what their triggers are. Sometimes some of that stuff is buried within our own trauma. And so this might mean, I think the most extreme example would be finding therapy for yourself to really work on yourself and find, you know, figure out what it is about this student or this type of person or whatever situation that is so triggering. If you can do it on your own and you feel that you can be accurate about that, I think that's perfectly fine. But I, I want to be clear that this is such an important step. And so if it needs to go as far as therapy for yourself, I think it's important to look at it because again, it's it's about being well yourself first before helping the kids be well. I think as, yeah, as, a, as a solution or maybe part of a solution therapy can be very helpful, obviously. What about like... For a teacher, if you know that you've had you've survived some sort of um, sexual assault, and for you a danger cue might be being around the male principal one on one, just making stuff up, or the or that story that you said before, right? You you gave an example of the older seventh maybe eighth grade boy flirting with a younger girl. Oh yeah, there you go. I so think seeing, I yeah, think that's a good that. example. Yeah. There you go. So so understanding. It, using your example of maybe previous sexual trauma in your own life and then being sensitive to that if you have a student come in who's had a similar experience or something that reminds you of your own experience. Just being aware of it and being kind to yourself and saying, you know what, Here, here's what's going on. I'm feeling wonky. 
that's a, a cue to do something different. This might be what it is about. And I think awareness really helps us to kind of move forward in in being well in yeah, totally. just addressing it. Yeah. So we're asking teachers to to notice what situations or events or mm-hmm. people or even sounds, right? Mm-hmm. Things in the yeah. environment. Which What specific things can you notice throughout the day that might send you down the ladder? And what I, what I want to know is when you walk into school, what does it feel like? What's it like to walk into your school site? How do you feel around your coworkers? Uh, how do you feel around the kids in your classroom? And we really want you to be honest with yourself. We're not going to judge you. We can't hear your answer anyways. That's true. So you have to be really honest with yourself. And like I said, we're not going to judge you. But and I, I would ask you to not judge yourself either, which is not the easiest thing to do. Honestly, it's not. It's really difficult, actually. It, for Yeah. Give yourself permission to feel the way you feel without judgment as best you can. And if you find yourself judging yourself, all right, let it happen. Don't judge it. <laughs> don't, don't evaluate. <laughs> don't judge don't the try. judging. Seriously, just like if you notice your judgment, just notice it. Like notice it's there, say hello and say goodbye. Uh, but be honest with yourself and what things throughout the day do you notice are sending you down the ladder? The kids, are they angry? Are they, you know, rowdy? Are they loud? Loud loud kids, that's a trigger for me. Yeah. So I know, and I work in <laughs> classrooms with really loud kids. And so I know that when it gets to a certain volume level, that's when I'm going to start taking, you know, some deep breaths. I've got maybe a fidget object I'm, I'm holding on to. I'm doing what I need to do to stay in a safe and social state. Other things, the parents that you see, a coworker, we talked about that. Um, is there a student that you find intimidating or that you're uncertain of? These are all specific things that you can try and recognize for yourself that might be cues of danger. So what do we do about this? What do we do, Justin? The first thing that we'd recommend is to think about your why, which I think you mentioned last week. Yes. Think about your why. Why did you become a teacher? What was your original motivation probably was not for the money i don't think it's about the money point is you're a teacher because you love the kids right like seriously though like what it's it's about teaching and it's about kids that's what else is there the trimmers i think (laughs) 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 but um uh why did you become a teacher uh come back to this thinking about your why Come back to this regularly throughout the school year. We're talking about what you can do to help yourself in a cognitive place. So come back to this throughout the school year because we all start off the school year really fresh and really excited and really enthusiastic about everything we're going to do. We're going to teach all the kids and we're going to fill their little brains with knowledge. But then by the time we get around to March or April, it's like counting down. We only have so many days left and I'm just done with these kids. So just really come try and I mean... Set a schedule for yourself, not a schedule, an appointment. Set an appointment, Hmm. set a reminder on your phone every month just to remember your why, think about your why. How about principals that run uh, staff meetings to ask what was a a win, what was a victory this week? Yes. And and to regularly ask, why are we here? Mm -hmm. And and to get honest answers from, from teachers. I think that would be wonderful. Let's put it on the principals. Principals, looking at you. Just in your own head, think about your why. And also realize that you're working with children and children are powerless. Like you are the authority and the figure. You're the, you're the most dominant person in the room. Um, they're, they're powerless. 
they're doing the best they can to remind yourself of that and that they are coming from homes that might not be the best. And there's nothing they can do about it. They're powerless. They're doing the best they can. And their homes are not necessarily the best. And like we said last time, assume that they're coming from homes that are, are, are some level of unhealthy or dysfunction or disconnection. Just assume less that they're coming mediocre. from. Less than mediocre. That's a good way to put it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so then, uh, so what do we do emotionally? Uh, seek out some support. And that is whatever that means for you. Uh, you could do therapy as previously mentioned, um, group support, friends, family, fantastic. Treat yourself. That's a shout out to Parks and Rec. Love that hey. show. Um, whatever that means to you. I was um, going over this outline that before recording and I was thinking, you know, what's what's my support? I love I love gardening. I look I like going out there and watering my flowers and plants and I used to have a vegetable garden that I'm trying to fix up the side yard to get that going in. But, you know, whatever that means to you, I like to knit as well. I don't know if you knew that, Justin. I did not. I'm quite a crafty person. But think about what is soothing to you, what feels good to you, and do that. For me, it's uh, drawing. I I basically have to be creating something at all times. I don't do well with dead time or just watching TV. Um, Or sleep because you ignore your... Alarm. Basic needs. Your reminder oh. to go to sleep. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. It went off about forty six minutes ago. I'm still awake. Um, yeah, I, I, for me, self care means um, being creating. I just, I have to create, whether it's or learn. I have to create or learn. Really, that's kind of it. Yeah. Yeah. Or play with my kids, hang out with my wife, uh, go out as a family, stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, emotionally at work. Take a break if you can. I there was a training we I think we both went to where they said it's okay for teachers like have something set up basically where if you need five minutes to walk off something or leave a classroom or whatever that somebody else can come in and cover for you for five minutes whether that's a principal or another teacher that could that could uh, come in during a um, what do they call those periods like the break what do they call them uh, the passing period I don't know so they have some teachers have like a period off like oh maybe they can, uh, prep. Prep, yeah. Prep period. What is it called? Yeah. Prep period. I think so. Um, but you know, ha- have a, some sort of system set up where someone can come in and give you relief for five minutes. Um, I did want to add something to that. What was I thinking about? Hey, we work with kids. Kids are fun. You can work almost anything. I, you're you're laughing, but <laughs> you keep saying that's your thing. Kids are fun. <laughs> kids are fun, and I do say it a lot because I think people forget it's fun to work with kids. You get to do all sorts of funny, weird, crazy stuff. You can play a game of Twister just because, and you know, we're talking about taking our care of ourselves emotionally. Like, do a couple yoga stretches if you need it. If that's what you need, go ahead and work it into your schedule. It's not a problem. The kids, the kids join can you. handle it. They'll join you. With the little ones, yeah, you, you they'll join you. They like they're just like, yeah, we'll try it with you, sure. Yeah. High schoolers, not so much. I don't know. They're, I think you can get away with cool. some stuff. I know some, sure. Some of them. Some of them, are, yeah. They're they're just so cool. Right. Too cool. So cool. Okay, so that's cognitively and that's emotionally, but what to do physically? What do we do physically? The brain breaks. The brain breaks. I think are huge. These are simple. Again, simple little quick moments to do is. A chair yoga exercise, listen to some music and see how your body feels. How does it want to move around? 
super just i mean it's just those little physical outlets throughout the day um are i think are can be a very big deal uh, on your breaks move around don't just sit don't just chit chat don't gossip don't um complain about the union or the principal or how bad the kids are or whatever use that time to move around take a walk around school check in and i think especially these are moments where you can make eye contact with other people exchange some smiles um, give some high fives to kids that you see like even though it's a break this is a wonderful time to just make connections and to move around play playing is a big one like it's play. i i just, just me i feel better when i play if, if you give me a ball and someone to throw it to who can catch it and throw it back i can do that for hours it's just bliss mm-hmm. that's just me play is so huge i th- that's another thing i talk about all the time play is enormous in our lives just as human beings yeah how about music justin yeah we like to mention music uh just play music uh little bits little bits uh throughout the day uh, just how does your body want to move kind of mentioned that yeah and then baby animals what? baby animals what yes so it's a ted talk from i believe it was 2012 so a few years ago link in the show notes link in the show notes in case you're interested by someone named jane mcgonagall who is quite delightful And the video is, or the TED Talk is called The Game That Can Give You 10 Extra Years of Life. And the example was that I've I've talked about this to many coworkers and many just people and teachers and things. And I talked to them about how, look at baby animals because they're cute and they just, it's adorable and it helps you relieve stress. But it's legitimate too because Jane McGonigal says, and she can give you all the sciencey reasons and stuff because I don't remember (laughs) that. But... The brain. Look, the brain. Oh, <laughs> it's a full, full circle. So looking at baby animals, it gives you like this moment of positivity and these like, um, I think it's the endorphins or I, I'm going to say the science stuff wrong, but yeah. there's just all this good the brain. Just say the stuff, brain. The brain. The brain. There's, there's good stuff at the brain Biohacking <laughs> the brain. So what is it? What does she say about cute animals? So the baby, baby animal, so you look at a baby animal, like pull it up on your computer screen or your phone, and the idea is that you're looking at this cute thing, it brings feelings of joy and feelings of, oh my gosh, it's so cute. And it's just like this quick, like few seconds of just positivity kind of flooding your brain. And there's all the science behind it that shows that this promotes, I think she's talking about stress specifically, yeah. but the point is that it promotes better feeling. And if you're feeling better, then you're going to be able to cope you know, with your emotions better, you're going to be able to pull yourself up the ladder again a little more easily. I think it's, it's so simple, though. It is simple. It just shows that, like, something that simple. And you're right. As I think about it, I feel good. Yeah, I've tried it. Like, sometimes I'm just in the funkiest of funks at work. And I'm like, what the heck? Everything makes me grumpy. Meh, meh, meh. And then I'm like, okay, I'm going to find the baby panda. Because the baby pandas, man, get me every time. <laughs> So just randomly insert pictures of cute baby animals in your lesson plan. You're all set. Couple announcements. The Dr. Porter's interview publishes next week. Very excited about it. Very happy about it. And after that, the goal was to do the Climbing Up the Ladder series. So we ideally would like to get audio clips in by May 21st so that we can do the Climbing Up the Ladder series. But if but if not, we may have to postpone that, which should be really sad. It would be sad. We do have lots of material that we're working on and prepping, but 
we definitely want to incorporate our dear listeners into the podcast. Thank you so much for listening. We hope this has brought you some value. If you have a question about anything, uh, we'd love to hear it, possibly address it in a future episode. Feel free to contact either of us. My email is justinlmft at gmail.com. And my email is mercedeslmft at gmail.com. Bye. Bye.